Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Who's from the haters? Point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah. Watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah. Get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one. Let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. Going on, everybody. This is the feed to Embiid. I am your host, along with my my co-host, as always, Brock Landis. Brock, it's been a while, my friend. It's been, I guess, over a week. How are we? How, how, what's the latest update on on life with you? I'm living my best one, AK. You know me. I never let basketball affect my mental. I always tell you that. Yeah. I'm packing for school. I'm getting ready for school. The semester starts tomorrow. Um, which, you know, I'm not too thrilled about, but you got to take care of business. Listen, you, you, you got to take care of business. And then you also, you know, you, you, you've you been off for a month, right? Mm-hmm. I so think there, so. So there, so there we go. Yeah. Listen, you, you just got to get back into the flow of things. That's all. Um, so you had a lot to talk about, obviously. Sixers, um, they their game yesterday gets canceled amid the, the testing for uh, the contact tracing. For COVID, it sounds like Jonas Valanciunas had it. The Grizzlies, and they want to cover all bases and make sure nothing um, else goes wrong in the meantime. Um, and before that, they they do lose the game in, in Memphis. They drop that. There's no Embiid playing. Um, John Morant comes back from injury. Grizzlies win that one by two. And then they have um, you know the, the loss to the Hawks last Monday by, by 30. They were never really in that game, and Doc kind of conceded it pretty much at halftime. Um, and then they have the two games against the Heat where they win both games. First one is in very uh, poor fashion, but the second one was was pretty satisfying. So, Brock, let's start off with the Atlanta game. Um, I, You know, the, the Hawks, number one, were coming off of, a, of, of losses and they were looking to make a statement. Um, they started off 3-0, and I think they've, they've gone 2-7 and in their last nine. So they needed a win. And the Sixers, they're just trying to get their legs back under them. Um, there's no Simmons is Embiid by himself. And, I mean, after the game, Doc even said at halftime, like, look, it, the game is over. <laughs> so there's not, there was not much to say. Um, and they kind of just chalked it up and said, well, let's focus on the next game, um, which was the next night against the Heat. Um, did you have any kind of takeaways from the, from the Hawks game? I just think with these games early in the season, with COVID impacting the season, it's really tough to gauge how teams are playing. So I think the Sixers were, what, 7-0 and with all of their starters prior to this game? And then you have the COVID scare. What was that? It was 9-1. and no, Oh, 9-1. and But but with all their starters uh, prior, they were 7-0. and So I just think 
Uh, you kind of got to take everything with a grain of salt. COVID was in the East. It got out West. Uh, when you lose guys, it's kind of tough to gauge how players impact the game, what their roles are because players play in expanded roles. Uh, but in the absence of certain players like Seth Curry, Ben Simmons, Tobias, etc., I saw guys step up. Isaiah Joe notably was top 10 in the NBA over his previous five games for threes and most of it, which for catch and shoot threes. So he was jacking and rightfully so. He was hitting his shots. Tyrese Maxey looked phenomenal too. And Shake Milton is really a guy who not only in an expanded role, but in his role as, if you want to call it a sixth man, I really don't care what you call him. It's about who finishes the game, not who starts. And uh, Shake's been doing that for Philadelphia. He's looked incredible this season, not only in a stretch of games where he's had to step up in the absence of a couple ball handlers, but all season. And, and last season, he's building on a strong performance in the bubble. And, and even further before that, when Brett started to rely on him towards the back end of the season, that's where he impressed Doc. He looked really good in Austin. I think it's funny. The whole offseason, we hyped up Shake as this player that not only Doc was going to rely on, but a player that fans should rely on. A consistent contributor, a good ball handler, a solid defender, and everything we've said over at the Painted Lines about Shake has come to fruition. What are you doing here? You're looking at your lineup? You're checking out the lineup of the cab? I saw that. You're not slick, AK. I saw that nonsense. Come on, dog. We got basketball to talk about. There's no girl coming in here. What are you doing, bro? I'm sorry. We're all live camera right now. Oh man, what a what what a world we live in. Um, so yeah, and I, and I remember I wrote before the bubble. I wrote a story on like basically Turn my damn lights on, bro. I'm out of focus. <sighs> it always happens without fail. You're still not in focus. It'll come. It'll come eventually. Are you in your underwear right now? No, nah, something like that. My my pajama bottoms, dog. Oh my god. What is this podcast come to? What's going on here? And all the and all the listeners dipped too uh, while they were at it. So I can I can, I can see why they all bounced. Um, but so th- wow. Oh yeah. So the Shake Milton piece. So I wrote uh, something on on Shake Milton on the lines of like you want to take the path of least deviation from pace. You want to neutralize the pace when. Ben and Joel are on the floor. That's how you're gonna get the best out of them when they're not like when you're not playing one brand of basketball versus another brand of basketball with with one versus the other on the court. You wanna you wanna find the blend of those paces. And Shake was the one that had the least deviation in pace between the two players of Ben and Joel. So I thought so I wrote something that said basically like he's the solution. And of course the Heat fans, this was right when they were rampant and they were buzzing, so they were all over it and they were clowning me for it. I just turns out I was about six months too early because <laughs> I mean, he's, he's been incredible for them. Um, the Grizzlies game was, was incredible. Uh, he was really, really good in his return in the heat game. Um, but I, I you know, we're, and we're going to get into this more. Cause again, this is called the lame, the lame is a Rob episode for a reason. Um, I think people are expecting this team to come together. Like, like just like, like that and everything's going to be you know everything's going to be great and and you know um unicorns and ponies and rainbows and candy and all, and all this perfect idealistic stuff and i just i, I don't see it um and I, and, I, and I think 
that, that doesn't mean that I'm saying that they're not going to become what people have envisioned, but to expect that in the first 15 games of the year is ridiculous. Um, I mean, they only have like 50, 58 games left. I think 57, 58 games left, which is a lot, obviously. Um, in normal year, you'd have 67, 68 games, but that doesn't really matter um, in this context. But I think like, so, you know, the Hawks game, they, they lose by 30. Everyone's like, well, what the hell? Um, well, I think people kind of understood like why they lost that game. I was more t- I was more taken aback by the fact that Doc basically said, like, yeah, I conceded the game at halftime. I was like, all right, we're not winning this game on the next one. I mean, Joel only played like three or four minutes in the in the third quarter in that game. And then it took him out and it was basically this the the, the politically I'll say the 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 the, the third stringers from there. Um, politically? <laughs> it yeah. was the Delaware blue coats out there. It's it's uh, vibes and, and Jason cover. There we um, go. With all due respect, I mean, I really don't know why those games were played, and I'm not the type of person that's going to sit back and complain about the officiating or the circumstances of a game. But when you look around the league and you see all these games getting postponed because players are dropping like flies, whether it be due to actually having COVID or the health and safety protocols. You just really wonder why some of these games were played. And even the Miami game where Philadelphia won the second game, Miami only had eight players. And the game before, both teams combined had 18 players, which means they were missing 15 altogether. And you see all these games like Boston's game, Dallas's game, the Phoenix Suns games, they're getting postponed. And it made you wonder why Philadelphia had to go out and play. And I don't know if the league gave any clarity on that, but I just think that that whole soap opera was funny with how Philadelphia had to play. Ben Simmons was on his way home driving, and then he found out that he wasn't allowed to violate the safety protocols and drive home, so apparently he drove back. There was all this nonsense going on. And and really, Austin, I, I just think that whole week of shenanigans could have been prevented had Alan Silver just postponed the games. Yep. And then, of course, we have local individual, local personalities driving certain narratives about players. So they were partici- so they were precipitating that story from from uh, I think Vincent Goodwill or whatever it was about Ben going home, and then Doc quickly, you know, refuted that and saying like this is this is the way it actually happened. Um, but so you know, the Atlanta game happens, and you know, I think the Heat game it, it was ugly as sin, no doubt about it. It was ugly as sin, um, and Ben was horrific in that game but i i kind of feel like we don't really know the extent of the knee injury um you know we don't think it was a big deal um but we don't know whether that was you know having an impact on on his play in 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 that game and then that he's coming back to a team that a lot of the guys he hasn't really learned the ins and outs of their game yet and I think that can play a role. Like there are certain things like him bulldozing through the lane. And when there's a guy right in front of them and then just knocking the guy over is, is something that you can prevent by just not running the guy over. Um, then there are other things that are like, well, and this happened in the Memphis game too, where he's driving, driving, driving. Someone comes up like, like one of his teammates comes up, on the strong side, like rotate around the perimeter. They drag their help. De- I'm trying to illustrate with my arms, but they're dragging the help defender closer to him. 
And in his mind, it's like a narrow gap and as they converge on him, it's forcing him to turn around and like wall off and try to make something happen. Now, should he be leaving his feet in the air? No, he shouldn't be. He should be staying on the ground, pivoting, and trying to figure and trying to figure out where his teammates are and not turning the ball over. But um, that some of that is like, you know, some of that is is lineup hazard. Like with Dwight Howard, I, I think you have to try to minimize the amount of time that Dwight and Ben play, play together um, because there's no big that's going to be defending Dwight. That's going to he's going to be able to lure outside and take away from the lane for Ben to actually attack. Um, we saw with Jonas Valanciunas on Saturday. Um, he was lurking around the restricted area, maybe a little higher than that. And Ben was Ben. You know, he knows he's coming, and if he goes to attack, JV is going to rotate over and be there. So I mean, it kind of gets him stuck in a position where he doesn't really have anywhere to go. Um, so you know, like I think, like when Ben has the ball in his hand, you should the guy should be clearing out baseline and going, in, you know, going to the opposite corner. And then the whole other, and then everyone else rotates over uh, over a spot. So Ben basically has the entire side to himself to himself to operate. And from there, if he's not attacking, then that's a then that's a it's a major issue because he's forfeiting space in favor of passing out, and that that doesn't make sense to me. But I, I think you know they 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 win the game thanks to a masterful performance against Miami on. Um, on Tuesday with Embiid and kudos to doc really for, for making that incredible adjustment where it was like so subtle that no one really kind of noticed it, but like he had, it's uh, I think the play was called delay where he just has Joel basically go ISO mode yeah. <laughs> on the foul line extended. Mm-hmm. And, there not, and there was nothing that precious that Chua could do about it. Joel's getting to the line. He had like a 20 point third quarter. It was great. Um, and then, you know, they win the game from there, but um, you know, Ben's Ben was Ben was tough in that game. He was having a tough time, um, but I think there's one thing that we have to sort of come to understand, um, not just as like fans versus media, but like as viewers of basketball. It you it might like satisfy your deepest desires and and your needs from Ben Simmons for him to you know, just rise up from like a 15 foot free throw line area, extended jump shot when he gets into the paint. But if you freeze frame a lot of those plays, there are three guys around him, one behind him, one to the side, other in front of him. That's probably not going to be an effective usage of a shot. So what does he do? <laughs> what does he do? He kicks it, he kicks it out to the perimeter and it generates an open three that a guy either makes or misses. Now you don't really think about it because you're so fixated on Ben, you're so fixated on Ben shooting or scoring in some way that you don't even realize it. But his presence in the middle, his 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 athleticism, his vision is generating and creating points and shots for his teammates. But because it isn't directly credited to his points column doesn't mean that he's not being effective in some other way. So to your first point about Joel, I think one of the reasons why Joe's having an MVP season is because the game is becoming simplified for him. And in saying that, you'll notice that what Philadelphia is doing is, if he's in the post, what's up, Connor? If he's in the post, they'll set three shooters around the arc, either off side of Embiid or one at the top of the key two off of Embiid, and then Ben plays the dunker spot, and it simplifies the game to man-on-man, 
one-on-one matchups. And in every breakdown, when I see those matchups, I call them dog food because there really is no center that's more dominant than Joel Embiid. And if you get him to capitalize on these one-on-one matchups, that's when you see this domination, elbow extended Jays, post-ups where he gets deep under the basket and nobody can stop him. So the way teams are rotating is they'll throw doubles at him or maybe even triples, and he has enough time and space now to re and react and kick to the shooters around the arc. Or if the double comes from Ben and the dunker, then he can just give it to Ben, and Ben gets an easy two. So what you're seeing from Joe is pure domination because he has space to work in, and when the space collapses on him, when doubles and triples come, he has time to react. So I don't know if it was Joe motivated, if it was the new coaching staff, I'd assume it's a combination of both. But he looks incredible protecting the basketball. Down low, he's keeping the ball high, high and tight. He's dribbling well. When defenders come, he's not putting it low to the ground. He's keeping it high. This is leading to more fouls. And like I said, passes around the arc, more assists for Joe. Now for Ben, the story's a little different. And I think it's a sum of things. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because you've got the entire James Harden rumors, which started before the season. So now there's a target on Ben's back because everybody's speculating the Sixers are going to trade him to Houston for James Harden. And people look at Harden's production as a perennial top five NBA player. And the census is let's go get Harden. So now before the season starts, you've got Ben Simmons history, both in the playoffs and then leading up to the bubble where he got hurt. I mean, I should say in the bubble before he got hurt, he had four games there, which didn't look good at all. So you have all of that combined with the Harden rumors now, combined with the fact that Brandon Ingram and Jalen Brown have completely ascended in the top 15 point producers in the NBA this season, and the expectations that Ben Simmons has as both a max player and the centerpiece of a team. Daryl Morey, before he even knew where his books and belongings were in the Sixers facility, traded for, for shooters with gravity. Why? For Ben and Joe. So all of these things contributed to the expectations for Ben before the season even started. Now the season starts. It's an entirely new system, a completely new starting five, a different second unit, and Ben's playing in a kind of different role. And a lot of people had these misconceptions about Ben this season that he's a random. And it's been very bothersome to me because, listen, I think I'm – towing the line as a Ben apologist. But at the same time, I've been pretty vocal about what needs to change for Ben. There's always been the jump shot, right? And I've never said that he needs a three-point shot specifically, but he needs the threat of a jump shot, maybe a 12, 15-foot shot, a midi in the paint, something like that. I don't even think that, to be honest. All of that aside, my biggest concern with Ben this season specifically It's just that I don't think he wants to be the man enough. That might not be in him enough. And this is a guy that he can play with Joe, okay, because Ben and Joe are producing numbers that are similar to, if not just as good as what Jalen Brown and Tatum are doing in Boston, as what other duos around the league are doing. So the two can coexist in the court, but it's these games, the Memphis game, a game earlier in the season that the Sixers lost on the road against the Cavs, where your max player – and your primary ball handler and the player that the offense essentially runs through, other than Embiid, should take games over. He shouldn't be putting up two shots against Miami. 
He shouldn't be putting up seven shots against Matt. These are things that are inexcusable, and I've been vocal about them. But to say Ben is a random, it's just been very bothersome for me to see because I look at what he did through his first 11 games this season, okay? And he set a career high in assists through 11 games, which is a product of his role and the, the shooters around him. He set career highs in steals, blocks, and deflections altogether through 11 games. And he's holding guys to around 38% from the field, which is incredible. Stop so, so all of those three things are ways that Ben impacts the game other than putting the ball in the basket. But the problem is putting the ball in the basket has the sex appeal for the masses. And now the masses are comparing Ben to Rajon Rondo, to Draymond Green, saying he's an overpaid role player. And it's ridiculous because when you ask people why, they'll tell you he's not being aggressive. Well, that's not the truth. This is the most drives, total drives, Ben Simmons has, the most points on drives, the best field goal percentage on drives, and the most assists on drives since his rookie season in 2017. And he's producing virtually the same amount, if not more, than he always has in transition. So it's not that Ben isn't productive. It's just getting used to a different role. There's, of course, maybe the lingering injury with his knee. But ultimately, here's what it comes down to. And Austin, I'll let you elaborate a little more because you know about Sam Cassell with, with Ben and some of that development. But what's going on is that Ben – this is the least amount of touches through 11 games Ben's ever had in his career. So what's going on is Ben is pushing pace. He's getting live rebounds. He's going – but what you'll notice the Sixers are doing more this year is slowing down the offense. Joel Embiid is either the first person down the court or he's setting up down low on certain plays. That hinders some of Ben's production because he's not just driving to the basket. He's not just getting in transition and storming downhill. He's letting his big man set up because that's who the offense runs through. So there's that. There's the fact that the coaching staff is trying him in a multitude of ways, putting him in the dunker spot, putting him in the corner, using them off ball on the wing, getting a head start to get downhill. There's different ways that the team is using them. And because of it, he's not giving you the 16, 18 points per game he usually does. But when you look at everything else he's giving you, the rebounds, the creation for others, the defense, it's up to par with or better than he's ever had as, as a sixer in his professional career. So it's not like Ben is a random. He's still Ben Simmons. It's just offensively, he has to get used to this new environment, this new ecosystem. And once he does, he's going to be bad. I'll say this before you go, Austin. In 2017, 14 points per game to start the season. Or 2018, rather. Last year, everybody longs for the Ben Simmons of last year I've seen in the past two days. Ben Simmons of last year averaged 12.9 points per game through his first 15 games. This year, it's 12.3. Is that, is that .5678 that big of a difference? It's not. But I say that to say this because in the final 15 games of the season in the past two years, it's been 16-plus points. 16 two years ago, 18 last year in the final 15 games. So Ben is still Ben. Ben is going to get back on his feet. I have no concerns about his offensive game. Is there stuff I'd like for him to add? Of course. Maybe a change of pace, a face-up game, the midi jumper, obviously. But I'm not concerned yet because there could be an injury that they're not letting on as, as serious as they're telling. And there's also a completely new coaching staff and an entire new-look Sixers team. So, Austin, I don't know about you, 
But me personally, I'm not too worried just yet. So there are some things that, that do have me worried. Okay. Like, for instance, the jump pass is something that he's been doing for four years. That mm-hmm. is very easy to fix, and he, and, and he just hasn't fixed it yet. Um, now, I, I, I will say this. I think w- the fans, ha- they, they tend to forget that like, this guy isn't removed from social media or whatever. He's not removed from society. He still hears a lot of what is said about him. He still knows his name is in trade rumors. He still hears everyone talks about him. But I think there's also this element of, you know, Doc raves about Doc. Doc raves about Ben. Um, Doc has privately been very has been a huge advocate about for, for Ben. So. Ben wants to do what his coach is telling him to do. And he wants to, you know, do right by his coach and reward him for advocating for him. At the same time, he's trying to figure out like this new style that they want him to play. And he's trying to figure out how to get his new teammates involved more. And I I think for someone who's a natural facilitator, that means you're going to hemorrhage your bleed points out of, out of his box score a little bit. Um, now there are things that like he doesn't, that, that need to, that like you can't excuse. Um, one being like him getting to the rim and that getting, getting to the to left side of the rim and then going to his right hand to finish like wrong hand and you're missing those laps. Um, the jump passes, like I said, some of the IQ plays, like you're trying to push pace, but like that that, that cross court pass in, in crunch time to uh, on Saturday where Ja intercepts it, like that can't happen. Yeah, he telegraphed um, that pass the entire way. Yeah, um, and I think he, a lot of it is he's trying to find the middle ground between what they want him to do, which is to be an unbelievable facilitator. And being an aggressive and being his aggressive self, because like they think he's a they think he's a star. They for sure think he's a star. The, right now, the, the 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 people who have the voices in this in this world, the media, the the fans, um, they don't they think he's like a marginal role player. Not maybe not the media, but the, the, the fan the fans certainly think he's just like this marginal role player. Um, the fans, by the way, I've proven my theory accurate that you there should be a point system for for, for being able to tweet. It, you you get you get you get you get an automatic five points. <laughs> you, if you sign up for a Twitter account, you get an automatic five points. And then after I reveal my system, then we'll go into the the Cobra ad for you. But you get a five points start out. Each tweet you put out twenty four hours to accumulate as many likes and retweets as possible. You get you, 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 each each one is worth a point. Each follow you get is worth two or three points, and then each unfollow is minus two or three. Every tweet that goes every tweet that, that goes a day without being any likes or favorites, you lose points for. So people with no followers probably aren't going to be tweeting that much, and it's going to be tremendous. Yeah, that's a uh, stupid idea, but I'll tell you what it is: investing in a king cobra. Okay, and I'll give you a little demonstration. All right. 
you like shotgunning beer, you want to increase your shotgunning time at parties, you got to check my boys out at the King Cobra, all right? This is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. It's a tab puller, a vent puncher, and it fits niftily on a keychain, if that's even a word. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra. Co, that's at the King Cobra Co. Cobra is spelled with a K. And for a 10% off discount code, you got to enter Trust the Cobra 10 and you'll get a discount on all products. That's all caps, one word. Pick yours up today. And here's how it rolls. If this is a can of beer and you want to shotgun it with your little King Cobra here, you just punch a hole and it's going to make a good hole because you can see how sharp it is here. And then you just drink your shotgun and you impress whoever is into that type of stuff. Uh, so it's a good investment. And Austin, I know you got yours. I got mine. So for those listening, if you don't have one, go check them out. King Cobra Call on Instagram. Yep. Now, Tim Lally, a Heat fan, says don't give the excuses. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I've seen the Heat fans have been pretty upset with Bam at a bio this season. Yeah. He's having a good year, 18 and 8, good field goal percentage. But they're complaining he's not shooting the J this season. So, Austin, I raised this question before. The culture, we... the culture is strong right now. The culture is strong. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely full. Yeah. It's, it's making guys like me a little more confident to speak. The, out. The, those, the culture has those um, – what are they called? The, the, what kind of wins are they called? The uh, moral victories. The moral victories. They've <laughs> – um, I think Miami's going to be fine, but they, they're oh, wow. COVID. No, I think they're a good team. Um, I, I think I think they're a really good team, but I, I think that their fans make them a fun target to pick on. Okay, and another thing, I want to say I raised this question: if Ben Simmons is a power forward, right? And it's too late now because Brett Brown coined him a power or a uh, point guard, rather. If Ben Simmons is a power forward, right, and he's listed as a power forward, starts in the lineup as a four, is the reaction the same? Is this outcry for Ben to consistently produce 18 points a night and consistently shoot a J, is the outcry the same? I personally don't think so. Because if you look around the league and you see a ton, like namely Blake Griffin, before he added the three ball in L.A. under Doc specifically, Blake was a Blake was a force. Blake was a presence. And league-wide, he was respected as one of the best ball players. And, and he was heavily involved with touches. He was top 10 in touches for a period of time. So is the reaction the same if Ben Simmons is a power forward? Austin, what do you think? I don't think fans do it that way. Um, I think some fans don't think he's a point guard. I think some don't think he's a power forward. Like, I, I truthfully I, – I don't know. And I think Doc would agree at this point as well. I don't think you can like frame him in one position because he's just so yeah. like, he's just mm-hmm. so, um, I think like, and this is just judging from my, from like my, the, the reactions to my tweets, um, which is really all I can go by. And I guess tweet other people's tweets as well. But people were saying like, no, he needs to pull up and shoot that three off the dribble at the buzzer against the Grizzlies. Cause if he makes it great, he's a hero. If not, then okay. It doesn't matter. Like, like, the hell are you talking about that's that that that's that's not even like what kind of like world do you live in where 
that would ever be like a good idea. You don't want Ben Simmons taking jump shots off the dribble from the three-point line. Brock, are you frozen? I'm not frozen. Okay. I thought you were for a second. No, um, I'm not. <laughs> so like, like I, 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 the jump shot to me do, does not matter. It never, never will matter to me because he's strong. He's athletic. He's, he's quick. And you know, he, he, he can get to the rim. It's about, it's about like, what is his mindset right now? What is he seeing on the court? Because these things are fixable. Um, and, I, and I think with time and as the season goes on, as he gets more comfortable, as Doc makes some adjustments to what, um, you know, what's going to get the bet the most out of him, I think I think they'll do that. Um, but uh, Gabriel L says Levine or Beal. Um, I would very much think that they're going to be in the market for either of those guys. I think I think I think Levine you should probably obtain without having to give up Ben, um, but. I, I think with the asking price for 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 James Harden, for uh, Anthony Davis, for Drew Holiday, they're gonna want like pretty much everything they got for Bradley Beal. Um, and you know, it would be nice to have some of those hinky picks back to 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 to, to cash out now. But you got you got what you got. Um, but I mean, I think if you want to maintain your if if, if you want to keep that like that time frame where they're all kind of in the same age range. Um, I don't think, I don't think Beal and Levine are that much different in age. I could be wrong, but um, I, I think I'm pretty sure Levine's younger. Um, so, I mean, if you don't want to have to give up as much, you want to keep, you know, a three headed monster in some respects, four headed monster, whatever Tobias Harris, you think of him, you think of him. Um, I would say you go with Levine. What do you, what, what, what would you say there, Brock? Yeah. I mean, Bradley Beal has been, phenomenal this season and and last and historically I think he has one of the deepest bags in the NBA offensively uh speaking of his career specifically I think Bill's a player that anybody would want on their ball club and that's why everybody's saying right now that if he's made available they're going to go after him Miami said that publicly I mean there's numerous teams that will want Bill the problem is who's Washington going to trade him to and is Philadelphia potentially one of those teams I don't know if Washington is willing to compromise and trade Bradley Beal for Ben Simmons when ultimately the fit with Beal and Embiid is phenomenal, but the fit with Simmons and Russell Westbrook is a little different. Uh, Washington's been struggling, and the Thomas Bryant injury means that there's some vacancy there. They could take on a big, but again, I don't know if that fits perfect. So I'd like to keep the big three intact. Of course, if there's an opportunity to get Bradley Beal and you're Philadelphia, you don't have to give up Embiid. I jump at the opportunity, uh, but it's Washington on the other end that are you I'm thinking, willing be willing to. What's that? Are you thinking like you said big, like Tony Bradley for Bradley Beal straight up? Yeah, that seems like a good trade. Uh, <laughs> it benefits both parties. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for Zach Levine, I love Levine too. He, he's the guy that really improved his offensive game. He gets buckets unassisted. He can facilitate. He's done a nice job playing the point a little bit and, and dishing the rock for Chicago this year. He could light it up and give you anywhere from five to ten threes a night from distance. But the problem with Zach Levine in Chicago is that here's what I think. Zach Levine, I think he's unrestricted in two years. It's this season, next season, and then he's unrestricted. Chicago is either going to give him the max or they're going to get assets for him. And I don't think Philadelphia is prepared to offer the assets. 
I've seen a couple of mock trades trying to get Zach Levine, um, most notably involving like Danny Green or Matisse Thibel or maybe a Furkan Korkmaz. But I don't understand the logic in Philadelphia, right? It's like take every player that we hate on a nightly basis and give them to the opposing team for their best player. I don't think Chicago would trade Zach Levine where the main, the, the main needle pusher is Matisse Thibel. I just really don't understand the Eversley relationship, and, and he was strong in pushing for the Sixers to draft Matisse, and now he's in Chicago, for those that don't know. But I really don't think Matisse Thibel is a needle-moving trade asset. And people include the picks, like the first-round picks. But the problem is the report surfaced today that Houston didn't necessarily want to make the trade with Philadelphia, the Harden and Simmons trade, because they, they over in Houston – had anticipated that Philadelphia is probably going to be good at least until through 2024, maybe extended through 2026. But ultimately, Daryl Morey and Embiid should be good enough to keep them in contention, which ultimately means the picks aren't as valuable. So if Houston wanted to trade James Harden to Philadelphia, apparently, and it was in part due to the fact that the picks might not be as valuable as they want, then why would Chicago trade Zach Levine to Philadelphia in the Eastern Conference for three or four picks that might not be that valuable in a year or two. And Matisse Thibel as the main player asset. He's not a player you could build around. And honestly, I, I barely think he's a complimentary piece. He's a role-playing piece, but he's not a guy that's going to step in and compliment a Kobe White. He, he's a role player more than, you know, a needle pusher. So I don't really know if either player is attainable for Philadelphia, um, but – I don't know. It's the NBA. It's what'd you call this episode? Les Miserables? Les Miserables. That's right. Soap opera, man. That's what the NBA is. There you go. Um, I would say that I wouldn't count anything out, um, especially with like the creativity that you can get with like a three or four team deal. Um, you, you just never know. Now, but I do agree with you. Like, you, like the trades that are like, all right, just throw them to Thibel, uh, Maxi, and like three first call that. Like, no, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Like, maybe on two trades, <laughs> PS5, it works like that. But with, with real humans that watch the sport of basketball, no, you can't do that. You call an offer from T. Thibel and two first round picks for Zach Levine. I'm hanging up the phone and not dealing with you. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Um, Kay had. I don't even want to try. Kadea is four ten. QD four ten. That sounded so like, like, Conestoga. <laughs> so like South Philly Delco. Um, thank you for your non toxic points about Simmons or about Ben. Uh, yeah, I think we owe a fair evaluation of the guy. And I think like, there are times where I'm wondering, like, am I? favoring him or am i being fair and i realize like no i think i'm being fair the people that are like he's a role player he's a bench player those are the ones that are inherently going to be against him and he can't do anything right for them so it's like you have to you have to play that good cop while everyone else plays bad cop adversity captain says do you guys um have the feeling that the Ben for Harden trade might set us back by not getting him because I want to, when I watch Harden's first few games of the Nets compared to Ben this year, it hurts. Um, well, I mean, I think like we have to be cognizant that 
it's been two games uh, since the Nets acquired Harden. They haven't played with Kyrie yet. Um, they had two close games thus far, one against an inferior opponent, one, one against a, a fellow contender. They're 2-0, of course, but I think those things that matter. And then, like, the Sixers have been dealing with COVID, uh, COVID cases for, you know, however long. There really hasn't been any kind of, like, continuity where you can give a fair evaluation. Um, like, would you want this – like, would I or would, would Brock or would anyone want this version of the team playing – a playoff series today no but i think that they have the tools and the pieces that they can keep up with anybody um and that that's for them to disprove um but i mean i i think i i think you have to give it time to really evaluate because like what if what if ben figures it out and it clicks like last game he attempted four jumpers right brock mm-hmm. he, he was two threes two mid-rangers he made the two mid-rangers um and he missed the two threes badly, but he still made, he still took them. If he can get if he get, if he starts expanding that and says like they're walling me off in the paint, I gotta adjust a little bit and shoot from the outside. If if if, if that happens, then maybe he gets more confident. Maybe that unlocks something else. It's just so early, and and they haven't they really they've only been playing like 10, 11 games together thus far. Um, so I think get to view it from like a a, a lens a thousand feet out. In order to really get the big picture here, and you know, I got news for all of you. Um, I think everyone's kind of figured out that, like, the regular season is just your rehearsal. Playoffs are when it really matters. Like Ty Lue is coaching for the playoffs. A lot of times, people are like, "What the hell are they doing on defense in LA?" And then you realize, oh, he just he just. He knows who his opponents are going to be in the playoffs. He knows what his best competition is going to be. He's gearing up for that. So if you're if you're sacrificing some regular season effectiveness and some regular season games to have a, a a blueprint for the playoffs, I think that's worth it. I don't necessarily think the trade is going to set him back. I mean, I don't think any of it matters honestly because I don't think a team's going to beat the Lakers at full health. I saw the Lakers first one in the season against Dallas, and that was it. I've decided that nobody in the NBA is going to beat the Lakers, at least this season at full health. Uh, but I don't think the trade's going to set them back. I think people are really taking Ben for granted, and people forget what the Sixers looked like for the first seven games. Like I said, I'm not putting too much stock into the early season, but it's really hard to, to gauge what these teams actually are going to look like in the postseason because there's so much uncertainty right now. But what I can tell you definitively from the Sixers' first seven through nine games before COVID hit was that the spacing looked great. There's good opportunities for Joe. There's good opportunities for Ben. There's good opportunities for Tobias. All of them have space. And when you get your playmakers in space or downhill, free in space, good things happen. So not only that, but you've got Tyrese Maxey and Shake Milton. Now, is this enough to compete with Brooklyn? Probably not. Is this enough to compete with the Lakers? Probably not. But you've got a good foundation, a good core, and there's still a likelihood that this team could give anybody a good seven-game series. They they took the – I mean, circumstantially, Toronto won the NBA Finals. There was a couple injuries with Golden State, but they took Toronto seven games with Kawhi Leonard, who was one of the best players in the league, and Kyle Lowry, FVV, Siakam. It was a deep roster, okay? Now, the Sixers had Jimmy Butler, so there's always that. You, you, you lose the superstar in Butler, 
But at the same time, Ben was still on that team. Joe was still on that team. Tobias was still on that team. So you've got guys that have been in this situation before. And and I think Maxie and Milton emerging as really formidable guards is huge for Philadelphia and alleviates some of that pressure on Ben. It makes the fact that Ben has seven and two field goal attempt nights a little bit easier to cope with because Milton or Maxie can give you 20-plus. For sure. For sure. Let's take a quick break and talk about our uh, partners at Thrive Fantasy. Uh, Brock, come hashtag prop up on fantasy, on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app <laughs> player for us. Um, they've eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top-tier athletes in a respective sport. It's the NFL. You just choose 10 out of the 20 player props options to build your lineup. It's the MLB, NBA, PGA, or even eSports. Choose five out of the 10 player props options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on the likelihood of its occurrence. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. That's all. So you're going to use the promo code Simmons for three. That's Simmons for the, the word for F-O-R three, the number three, Simmons for three. When you sign up today and you will receive an instant deposit match up to $50 on your first deposit of $20 or more, download the Thrive Fantasy app on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website, www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and, and hashtag prop up today. Um, anyway, back to the show. So, um, Aram says, would you not want to see a game where Ben Simmons is only attempting to shoot threes on offense? Maybe also I want to see Ben Simmons take five threes in a single game and see if it's that bad. Um, Brock, I'll let you go first. This is just what I mean when I say people need to tamper their expectations. And this is why I raised the question, if Ben is a power forward, do people care as much? To keep a long story short, Ben is who Ben is. And you need to come, if you're not going to appreciate it, at least accept Ben for who he is. You can't force him to be anybody he's not. And Ben is never, and frankly, I don't know if he'll ever be a guy that's going to shoot five threes a night. It could happen, but for the time being, I'm not expecting that. And I don't think anybody should. So tamper your expectations. This is a guy that's brilliant in transition. It's a guy who, when he gets downhill, does a ton of damage in team's game plan specifically to prevent him from getting downhill. He's a facilitator that creates offense for his teammates, and he plays world-class defense. And that's what people should come to accept Ben for. And if they don't want to, then that's on them, but I can't help you because Ben's never going to be that guy. Yeah, I I would I would agree. Um, I would say that I wouldn't. I mean, I really wouldn't care if he did it. Um, you know, like in a game where, um, like you're up by twenty five points in the fourth quarter. Like, who cares? Just shoot it. Um, now, like. If, if he's doing it in a game where it's like a five point game or it's in the middle of the game still and like still being still being in the process of being won, no, because you don't want to lose a game because you decided to have Ben Simmons shoot five threes. Like 
Like maybe he makes one or two, probably one, maybe, maybe zero, but like those are wasted possessions. It's, 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 I mean, teams like, 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 listen, Brock, what, what, what's like a good points per possession number? Is it like one or greater? It's like, yeah, around, I guess greater than one, 1.05. 1.05. So then per 100, it's like you want to have over 105 points per 100 possessions. So every possession is essentially valuable, right? I mean, you, you, and you don't want to waste it on bad shot quality, like Ben Simmons ad-libbing a threes. I, I, I just feel like maybe it's because he's coined as a point guard, but – People are thirsty for a point guard that's going to cook their defender and hit a step back three. And that's never Ben's game. That's never going to be his game. So I don't know if Ben shooting a three is a waste of a possession, but there's more important things he can work on, like a change of pace in getting to the basket, some unpredictability in getting to the basket, maybe working on his post game, incorporating that 12-foot, 8-foot jump shot. These things are more important than Ben coming out and shooting five threes a night because he needs to consistently keep working on his game. The thing people are saying about Ben, which I do agree with, is that there's an abundance of film on Ben. People know what Ben's going to do. So as good as he is, as, as physically impossible of a matchup as he is, to put a guard on a 6'10 point that runs faster and can handle better than everybody else, as good as all of that is, there are ways to stop that. You can form walls. You can form doubles. You can pick them up at half court and try to form a three-man wall. There are ways to stop it. So I think if Ben incorporates some unpredictability, that's a little better than him coming and shooting five threes a game. Yeah, I agree. Um, Aram says, man, if you want to trade Matisse Thibault, give it to the Mav. You like defensive players now. Brock, you think, think the Mavs would do Matisse for Luka straight up? I'm not even going to entertain. I'm not going to entertain that. But what I will say, I don't think the Mavs want Matisse. Um, I think you want spacing around the Mavs, around 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 Luca. I don't think you want Matisse Thybulle. No, but the Mavs do have a lot of depth. They've they've got a lot of depth between DFS and, and Tim Hardaway and JB. They've got a lot of depth over there. This is an interesting one. Why don't Frankie, Frankie Stokes for to help match up with Brooklyn? So like. Ever since they waived Dakota Matias, and we'll get into that a little bit too, um, I kind of had like this feeling like, oh, they might go for Kevin Porter Jr. Because like it just kind of lines up perfectly, and he's a really he's a nice young prospect. Um, if it weren't for off court issues, he would have been like like people were saying he's a top top, top five talent in that draft. Um, if you can get him, if you can sort of you know help mentor him and mature him a little bit, maybe you can you know really get some great value there. Um, but then I also feel like. They have a bunch of guard depth. They have Shake. They have Danny. They have Seth. They have Tyrese, um, Isaiah, Joe, all these different guys. They have one legitimate backup power forward, and that's Mike Scott. So I think any additional roster spots, my guess would probably say that they're going to try to go for a stretch four, um, like someone on, on a team that is that is maybe looking for a buyout. Um We'll see where Ersan. that goes. What? Ersan. Ghostface Ilyasova. Listen, go, I think it's a good nickname. I like that name. nickname, Ghostface. I like that. Um, but I just don't think it's worth burning resources on 
like Frankie Smokes is a solid player, but like you don't have many many assets to work with to begin with that you don't like that you just aren't you don't need. Like you need everything you have, and to burn it on someone who's not going to move the needle for you or isn't going to fill an immediate need doesn't make much sense to me. Brock, I like the idea of it because he is yeah. like a hybrid guard defensively uh, that, that that can match up with guys at different positions. But like you said, one of our best thought out comments I think we have. <laughs> honestly, that was one of the most logical comments we've received on this podcast. Um, but, but I, I do think that would maybe, I don't know, because you might bring them on board because of the defensive versatility. I'm trying to think if there's a guy that Philadelphia could add that wouldn't take touches away from Tyrese and shake, but is also able to contribute in ways other than having the basketball and Frankie smokes could be one of those guys facilitating and playing active on ball defense. Um, but I, I don't know what Philadelphia is going to do. They, so they waived Dakota because they're making roster room for a potential buyout candidate or future trade target, right? Yeah, I have a theory. My theory would be that in order to basically alleviate any kind of like, okay, if we get COVID again, we have to play another game and like lose that game. If they don't have the number of – like if, if, they, if they trim some of the fat per se yeah. and they don't have enough roster spots naturally, they want to play the game. So maybe it's just helping them get down to the number that they need to okay. forfeit games that they have to. It's kind of messed up, and it's like you feel bad for the kid, but I think it's a perfectly reasonable. That could, that could have saved them from playing a couple of ugly games last week. Right, right, right. Um, but I think just naturally looking down the line, I think Maury's a deal maker, and I think they they recognize what their needs are, and what their needs are is a backup power forward. Um I could even see them maybe going with like the stretch five route, maybe because uh, which I guess could be Ursan. Yeah, it could be Ursan. Uh, wouldn't that be something? A third stint with the Sixers, Ursan Ilyasova. So, uh, he's the drawling charge goat. Yeah, I, I love Ursan. Ursan was Ursan's awesome. Um, can't play defense, but he's a he's a good shooter. Plays stretch five well. Takes charges, um, but I I just didn't think like. You want to maximize the spacing with a Ben lineup, and in order to do that, you don't want him playing four, or you don't you don't want him playing five. You want him playing one or four with a stretch five. And so I think they're going to try to find some sort of stretch big. Maybe that's Dwayne Dedman. Maybe that's Urson. Who knows? Um, but Tejas Kendarkar says, "I hate Ben on offense as our second star for Embiid, but also I also hate our chances holding up on defense if we don't have him." Um. Yeah, and I think like people are like, oh well, like, like sweet, they held like they held Kevin Durant twenty four points. Like that's going to be effective, or like, like, like who cares about scoring? Who cares about defense when you can just outscore everybody with Harden and Embiid? You need to ring the. You need to put together defensive stops in order to create energy and momentum on offense. Like. Like if 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 you if you can't generate stops and you're just trading bucket for bucket, there's not really a ground to build from. You keep you build up to the first step and then the first step collapses and you're back to ground zero over and over again. If you have the defensive stoppers, you can progress and and, and maintain momentum and energy and knock down the other team's momentum and energy. So even if they do end up scoring, if you're still holding them to one score every five possessions in the fourth quarter, you still have a pretty good shot. Brock, do you agree with that? 
Yeah, I think with Ben, he's he's always going to be a good defender. And the thing about Ben is that while on offense, he may not be the guy that's like, all right, I'm going to go bucket for bucket, give me the ball. I'm going right into the chest of my defender. Defensively, he's not afraid to go at one through five, whoever the opposing team's number one is. And that's huge in the playoffs. Now, that reminds me of a 23-year-old Simmons that defended Kwai for 150-plus possessions in the Toronto series, that was his defensive assignment. And at 23, to hold Kwai of 3 of 17 shooting from 3 and force him to turn the ball over more than assist it, it was impressive. So it's good to know that not only do you have a defensive anchor in Joel Embiid, who should also be considered a deep boy because of how, the, how good the defense is with Embiid, but also you've got a guy in Simmons who if Embiid's taking the 5, you could throw it 1 through 4. And no matter how effective they are, Simmons is probably going to slow him down, whether it be Tatum, whether it be Jimmy Butler, somebody in the playoffs. Simmons is going to at least slow them down. He may not eliminate them, but he'll slow them. So it's huge to have a player like that on defense. For sure. A-Ram says, by the way, Bill said he wants to stay in Washington his whole career, so it gets easy, So it's easier to get Levine. We'll see. Um with the Dakota, the sniper Matias getting waived, would you reckon we'll fill that roster two-way spot? I don't know. And I think it's a good point. Like maybe it's Kevin Porter Jr. because that's a two-way. Like you're not going to sign that, – that's the only thing you have left is a two-way spot right now, Brock. So they're going to have to waive a guaranteed contract. Maybe that's Vincent Poirier. Maybe that's, um, maybe that's Tony Bradley. But they're going to have to waive a contract in order to – create the roster spot needed to sign a stretch four or five. So maybe they're looking, maybe they're looking at the two way route. Maybe that's Kevin Porter jr. And I, I mean, I, I'm sure Kevin Porter is going to work his way back into the league, but right now he's probably battling with some personal demons. Uh, so I'm, I'm not too sure he's, he's, he's going to get picked up by a team and play right away. He may take a little bit of time off to become, yeah. you know, sort everything out. And, and, and once he's straight, he'll come back. Yeah. Uh, a Ram says the Lakers have basically two starters. They're 35 and 36. Couldn't be farther from the truth. Couldn't be farther from the truth. Yeah. I think what is frustrating is that he hasn't improved his offensive game and what he's known to do. Too many times I yell at the TV, him doing ugly runners rather than dunks, like Giannis, poor free throw shot. That Giannis free throw is weird right now. Like it's, it's, he shot one of 10 the other night against the, Mets. you know, who shot is real weird, bro. And, and, and that, that, I, know, I know exactly who you're talking about before you even say it. the guy on Memphis, Brandon Clark. That's exactly right. Brandon what Clark shot so weird now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Memphis That's can't awful. be happy with that. It's awful. I knew exactly who you were going to say. Cause like, Oh, it's such a weird shot. It is. Yeah, it is. Um, we're a real quality forward. Mike's got T for a conditional first. That could turn into two seconds. I like that for Jetty Osmond. Yeah, I like that yeah. a lot. That's a really good one. Is Jetty a power forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he plays multiple positions. Okay. Okay. Uh, blank mix. We got some good intelligent comments tonight. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised because yeah. this was primarily a Ben Simmons podcast. We've got some yeah. good comments tonight. Yep. Um, blank mixes says, if we can't land Levine, land Mark, Laurie Markin isn't bad as a stretch four without giving too much up either. In theory, yeah. Um, I would be curious to see what their market price is for him. I, I don't know where they sit with him and what they want for him. And I'm damn sure not going to 
um, you know, like leverage actual like, like excessive assets for Laurie Markkinen. Um, the clever one says any updates on Seth. I believe he's expected back January 20th. So that would be Wednesday. Um, oh, Brock, by the way, the verification check mark comes back on Wednesday. So you better get yourself verified on Wednesday. So how's that work? You can apply for it now, right? Apply for it. Yep, you apply for it. You're thirsty for the check mark, Austin. I'm probably not going to get it too, but. <laughs> You're a clout demon over there. There we go. Man, I love the idea of getting Nikola Mirotic as a wow. That's another great one. Wow. These are good. Only on one condition. If he grows his beard back out, yeah, he can't I be a clean shaven Mirotic. He's got to have that beard again. The it's, Chicago a beard. Beard. it's a good one. Um, Aram, I, well, a while ago I saw that MB interview where he said he wanted to go away and that he always said that he didn't want to end his career in Philadelphia. Sounds like a serious thing. What? Fake news. That's fake news. That's fake news, Aram. Where'd you see that? <laughs> He's been vocally wants to finish his career. If anyone has been more vocal about finishing a career in Philadelphia, it would be, it, you couldn't find anyone more vocal than Joel Embiid. Um, why does Sixers fans want to stick with Joel after he said that? Because he's Joel Embiid. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'll have to see that to believe it. I think it was the, I think it was the after they lost game four um, to the Celtics, and they asked him be like, what his future held. And he was like, I want to be a Sixer. I mean, I think he said it in almost every offseason. Every yeah, opportunity he's had, he's said it again that he wants to be a sexier for life. And the Players Tribune article, all, all he talked yeah. about was how badly he wants to deliver a chip to Philly. Yeah. Um, you think they're unbeatable? Brock, I think we've already answered this. We do think they're unbeatable. I mean, you could look at the age, and that's why I said it full health, because they're one injury away, knock on wood, from not beating unbeatable. But you've got LeBron James, who, until he proves otherwise, is unbeatable. Anthony Davis, who, until he proves otherwise, is a top five perennial NBA player. And then you've got Dennis Schroeder and Montrez Harrell, who are th- – I-, I can't even begin to tell you how good they've been for L.A. If you could get 90 points combined between four players on a nightly basis, you're going to be really tough to beat regardless of the opponent. I can only name two or three other teams that could produce that many points between three, four players. That's right. Uh, last one. What are your thoughts on Ben Simmons' refusal to expand his offensive game since his rookie year? I, I would agree. I, I think there are certain areas he has to expand. You said this over and over again. I think just having the mindset of I'm going to get to the rim and you're not going to stop me, that has to be something that he does. And that's really the only thing that I really care about with Ben Simmons. Uh, the jump shot doesn't matter to me. I guess it I guess I would call it like a refusal to expand his offensive game, but the thing with Ben is that he's one of the strongest forces in the NBA in the open court. So I think it's more so a mental thing for Ben. He thinks this team can't stop me getting downhill. I'm gonna get downhill and shoot and he does it and he's been successful doing that. When I say shoot, I mean take layups and shots around the rim. He's been successful doing that in his career. And he hasn't really had to produce anything outside of that. So I guess it is a refusal to expand his game, but I'd kind of consider it more of playing to his strengths. And I think Ben, as he gets a little bit older, needs to not just expand his game, 
but he needs to he needs to want to be the man more. He needs to want to take over games in the absence of Joe. He wants to sh- he has to want to shut everybody up when they disrespect and slander him. I just I I really haven't seen that that anger that gene in Ben yet. For sure. Would you rather have Ben Simmons? No, sorry. Yeah. Would you rather have Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram? Come on, bro. We had to end the podcast like this. You got to make me answer that. Um, the fact that I have to think about it is a testament to what's happened with Ben Simmons, okay? Uh, because a year or two ago, I would have laughed at you and told you they're not even close. But right now, I think from his class, Brandon Ingram is probably the only player that I would seriously consider wanting over Ben Simmons. It's, it's, it's not Jalen Brown yet. He's getting kind of close. Uh, it's it's not Jamal yet. I think who, – who else was in that class? Was Sabonis in that class? Um, if, if I'm not mistaken, Sabonis was in that class. He's making a case this season. But the thing is, is all these guys around Ben progress. Everybody's going to want to take somebody over Ben because hindsight's twenty twenty. But if Ben taps into his potential – these comparisons would be disrespectful. If Ben takes it into the chest of defenses, if Ben says, I'm going to get to the rack, you're not going to stop me. If he gets to the line, if Ben taps into his potential, these are all disrespectful comparisons. But for the time being, Ben's letting them happen. Let me ask you this. Which player is better? Ben Simmons with Andrew Wiggins' jump shot or – Andrew Wiggins with Ben Simmons playmaking. <laughs> I get let me say Andrew Wiggins jump shot on Ben Simmons because at least Ben will be shooting, right? So Wiggins is 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 usually a high volume shooter. So let's assume that Ben with Wiggins jump shot is taking like 15 20 shots a game. So that plus the defense and the playmaking I think is better than Wiggins with Simmons playmaking. But yeah. Wiggins been having a really good couple of weeks on the defensive end for Golden State. So for the last time, he he has always said that he wants to end his career in Philadelphia. I don't know what they are talking about. Um, Brock, where can they find you? On Twitter at Landis Brock, right here on YouTube, it's Brock Landis. I make content, uh, film breakdowns, analysis, theory videos, everything like that, on both my personal page and the Painted Lines. So it's Landis Brock on Twitter, Brock Landis on YouTube. And find me on Twitter at NBA Krell. Cover the Sixers on the beat for the Painted Lines. I'm also a column, a weekly columnist for the Last Out Media Group. Um, you can find me on, as always, on the Painted Lines YouTube for pregame shows for the podcast. Um, you know, all that other stuff. As always, thank you for tuning in, everybody, and have a wonderful night.